Who will the Seattle Seahawks be selecting at fifth overall? Nobody has a damn clue with less than two weeks until the draft. But Rob Rang and I are going to be diving into all the options at John Schneider's disposal here on our Mock Draft Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, for the penultimate Mock Draft Monday. We only have two of these left until the real deal in Kansas City. Glad to have all the 12s, as always, making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. To cap off our Mock Draft Monday season, next week we'll be dishing out our final Mock Draft ourselves, but we got expert Mock Drafts that we'll be breaking down today, and we'll be taking a look at the guard position in tiers. First rounders, day two picks, as well as day three gem possibilities. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise by using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on Mock Draft Monday of Locked On Seahawks. We've got 10 days remaining until the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. We're inside two weeks left until the real deal. And it feels like what the Seahawks are going to do at pick number five is more uncertain than it has been at any point this offseason. And Rob, really, it's been uncertain since that playoff game ended in San Francisco. And there's been all these different names. And then what happened with Jalen Carter off the field, Will Anderson stock being up and down, what's going to happen with the quarterback position. And here we are 10 days away. I think John Schneider's probably sitting behind the scenes with a big smile on his face with all the options he's got at his disposal, wondering what the teams in front of him, of course, have flexibility on the clock. Yeah, exactly. And it's not only the fact that the Seahawks obviously have to wait and see what the, the, the four teams selecting ahead of them are going to do, but they have the comfort in knowing that they have the 20th overall selection. They've got five picks among the top 83 and, and they've got 10 selections overall. So, you know, almost regardless of what happens in front of them, Corbin, Seattle is able to pivot in this draft. And, and I think that that just gives John Schneider um, and, and Pete Carroll a, a different degree of flexibility in, in this draft. And they've had really in, in just about any draft that they've had the entire time because of the fact, of course, that they have a quarterback that has been re-signed that, um, you know, is uh, is coming off of a spectacular season. And yet Seattle still is in position to be able to address the, the need for for youth at that position at number five overall as well. So that to me is the most fascinating thing here. And why I'm excited that we're going to kind of, you know, diving into this topic right here is, is what you mentioned a moment ago is the fact that it does feel like Seattle's selections at number five, their 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 possibilities have even expanded 
here in the last few days. And a big part of that is because there's an awful lot of buzz, and some of it is because of Lance Zerline um, from NFL.com and very much based in Houston, has his own radio show there as well. Um, and he's got his ear to the Houston Texans situation. The Houston Texans at number two for so long has just been presumed that they were going to be taking a quarterback. But yep. there is a great deal of buzz that they might be going with a defensive player there. If they were to take, say, a Will Anderson, which would make an awful lot of sense to Nico Ryan's the head coach there now, previous Alabama, uh, you know, player, absolute superstar there. Um, obviously, is going to pay a lot of attention to a, a player like Will Anderson. It would make sense for them to go with that route. Um, and then you have the Arizona Cardinals at number three overall. There's been a lot of talk that they're not going to, of course, going to be going for a quarterback. They might be going for a defensive lineman. So, uh, again, we're talking about a scenario where Seattle could have, theoretically, a quarterback like C.J. Stroud from Ohio State potentially still on the board. Certainly a guy like Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Whether it be a defensive lineman, whether it be a quarterback available to Seattle at number five, as you said, I think that John Schneider is just kind of sitting back and just thinking, hey, the, the world is my oyster in a lot of ways. We are have a, a great deal of flexibility. We really should be able to spin off of whatever happens in front of us and be able to take a spectacular play or really be able to get an awful lot of value in a possible trade down scenario. I'll dive into this scenario that you've thrown out here more in depth here in a second. But what's really, again, for a lot of teams in this situation, if you don't have an idea generally what player or set of players you're going to be going for with a top five pick, you would think that is not an ideal situation. And there's a lot of organizations where that would be problematic. But the Seahawks have had such a tradition of winning and, and being able to build rosters. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll understanding what their mission is, what their philosophy is, them being in this position right now, they're playing with house money. If there's a quarterback we really love there, great. If Jalen Carter's there and we still have him on our board, we had a good meeting with him, we can pick him at number five. If Will Anderson ends up falling into our lap, we'd love to have a player like Will Anderson who had 17 and a half sacks in Alabama two years ago to upgrade our pass rush. And Devin Witherspoon, we just brought him in for a visit this past weekend. We really like his physicality and his mindset, his toughness. We don't care that we have Tariq Woolen. We have another corner spot, and we could put him there. You know, maybe Nolan Smith or somebody like that that's an athletic freak that jumps out. Seattle might say, you know what? We're really going to throw a curveball at a position of need with a player that hasn't been mock draft very often here. They have so many options, and any of those picks, I know there are some of our listeners are going to say, Devin Witherspoon doesn't make sense. It makes sense at number five. And I understand that argument because it is not the biggest need for the team. At the same time, if that is your best player on the board that also checks off your character stuff you're looking for, then you go for it and you don't bat an eye with that selection because you're bringing in a first team All-American that can do a little bit of everything at the quarterback position. Carter and Anderson are both fantastic talents. Carter's got his baggage off the field. We know he might be the most talented player in this draft class when he's got his head on straight. So they've got all these different options. And if they take a quarterback, well, yeah, you're not going to play him right away, but you take advantage of the opportunity to pick in the top five, which they haven't done for a long time. And that leads back to the scenario that you mentioned. And some fans are going to look at that as a horror movie, like, oh, no, Houston's taking a defender and then Arizona takes a defender. You could potentially have Anderson and Tyree Wilson or Anderson and Jalen Carter off the board, picks two and three. The Indianapolis Colts are loving this. They can get C.J. Stroud. They can get Anthony Richardson. If they still like Will Levis better than those two, they can take that player. But Seattle would be guaranteed Richardson or Stroud in that scenario at number five 
And so at worst, John Schneider could start a bidding war at pick number five. You could get a king's ransom for teams wanting a quarterback moving up for that pick. Or you'd say, you know what? I really like C.J. Stroud or I really like Anthony Richardson. We're just going to stay here and take our quarterback. John Schneider being the guy that he is, loving moving up and down the board, he has just got to be chomping at the bit for this first round with the possibility that Houston could do that because that makes the world his oyster if all those quarterbacks are there. Either he can pick one or he can mortgage it off. Yeah, and that's the thing is I, I think that John Schneider would be very excited in that scenario. I know I would be very excited in that scenario. And, and maybe it's just because I, I'm higher on the possibility of a Jalen Carter or Anthony Richardson um, than a lot, a lot of Seahawks, uh, you know, followers seem to be um I, I certainly acknowledge the bus factor that both of those two players provide but i also recognize just the incredible ceiling that those two players provide and i guess i i view this number five overall selection as a bit of a lottery ticket and, and not one that uh you know you you obviously you want to hit on it but at the same time you still have number 20 overall you still have a you know a quarterback who in his first season was unbelievable first season as a starter in Seattle and Geno Smith was unbelievable last year i think you can reasonably expect that there's going to be some progress made in the second season so again i feel like this is a lottery ticket that you have a chance to really get something special and i just feel that those two players in particular are somebody special if 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 CJ Stroud is available to you then my goodness that much better um just because again i i think that he is a, a spectacular talent um i still have a hard time with that idea but it, it looks like it could happen um either way whether it be a trade down scenario or again taking a player that i just think is exceptional um then, then i think that, that that seattle has to be really excited about that and to, to go back to the moment on the witherspoon conversation Corbin, I, I just kind of chuckle at that i mean I, I certainly think that the historical tendencies of, of any team is is something to note but you know the, there's only been two times in the, the, the carol schneider era in which they've had top 10 picks they, they use those of course those top 10 picks on two offensive tackles on okung and on charles cross does that mean that they have to take another offensive tackle now i mean no one's using that logic so i don't understand what the, those who would argue that they cannot take a corner or they cannot take a running back or whatever the case might or be or a receiver they have exactly. a receiver inside because, 45 exactly because these are some of the most dynamic players in this draft class and so i i would agree with you whether it be witherspoon whether it be gonzalez the other corner from oregon whether it be a, a, a peter skaronsky if that's the guy that you really think is that good well i personally disagree i just think those are the types of players that, that seattle has to make sure that they get because or again in a trade down get multiple players because you have this lottery ticket that you have to be able to cash in and get something for it. there's so much flexibility and again unlike a lot of teams that are put in this position the seahawks with their free agency moves and the players they've re-signed including geno smith they have set themselves up that they don't have to reach at any position group. Although you could make an argument defensive tackle is reaching that point with only three healthy guys on the roster there right now. But Jalen Carter's off field issues. That's something to monitor there. We'll see whether the Seahawks have him on their board or not. If he's there at five, they don't take him. That will be a pretty telling situation for the Seahawks. Coming up next, we are going to continue our mock draft Monday. It's our second to last one of the pre-draft calendar. We'll be checking out three expert mock drafts coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. 
This episode is brought to you by Altman Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game Altman Football GM. And if you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager and managing your own franchise, your dream can come true. This game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team. Play through the season and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this is in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money, running your own team, and certainly do a better job than I've done with the Honolulu Sharks, this is the way to go. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's locked on in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game at ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com, Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen Five days a week for our everydayers coming up on tomorrow's episode. We will be bringing back Throwback Tuesday and debating our five best value picks of the John Schneider era. And we'll be continuing our draft preview going on the defensive side of the football with edge defenders, defensive ends, and outside linebackers. It'll be a jam-packed episode. Make sure to check out. we got a brand new NFL draft newsletter here at Locked On. Luke Inman's doing a fantastic job putting that together. Check out that free resource at LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters to sign up for your free NFL Draft newsletter. All right, Rob, it's the penultimate Mock Draft Monday episode. We only have two more of these left, so let's make it count. This is our last chance to see who the experts think will be going to the Seattle Seahawks in the first couple of rounds. And we got to start with the man that's really become synonymous with NFL Draft coverage being Mel Kuyper Jr. of ESPN his final mock before the real deal coming up in a week and a half. And he's got the Seahawks making not one, not two, but three first-round selections. Jalen Carter, no surprise there, at number five. That seems to still be the consensus selection at number five overall. And it makes sense because of the position and the talent that he brings to the table. At pick 20, Miles Murphy, the super athletic edge defender from Clemson. And then at pick 30, the Seahawks trade both of their second round picks to move back in the first round. That's pretty rich. But if the Seahawks are sold on Hendon Hooker being Geno Smith's heir apparent here the next couple of years, Moving back up to pick number 30, that's the price you have to pay to do it to get a quarterback. And Mel Kuyper thinks it's a strong possibility the Seahawks could do that, even with the interest they've shown in the four quarterbacks that are likely to go within the top 10. Well, I, I think that there is a possibility uh, of this exact scenario that the Kuyper has uh, portrayed here, you know, and, and it's interesting because there, there's been a lot of times Mel Kuyper Jr. and I have have disagreed pretty strongly when it comes to Seattle and the drafts. I mean, that was one of the ways that, you know, I kind of developed a little bit of a name for myself all those years ago is because Kuyper was among those people who blasted Seattle and they selected Lofa Tatupu all those years ago. And I really thought that he was going to wind up being a heck of a football player. And obviously uh, he 
was that for Seattle. So it's pretty unusual for me to basically <laughs> champion Mel Kuyper's uh, selections here, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, I think that there's absolutely a possibility that each of these selections winds up coming true uh, for the Seahawks. Jalen Carter, as we talked about many, many times, terrific football player. I think that Seattle is, again, a little bit more uniquely positioned to take a player like him because of Pete Carroll and what he can do um, as far as just being a, a mentor in that situation. Miles Murphy is a good football player that the people are starting to sleep on for whatever reason. I mean, he can just do a little bit of everything, and he's still a five-star guy uh, that is a dynamic athlete, has a, a great motor, has a, a great work ethic, has every reason to believe that this is going to be a you know an eight ten year starter in the nfl so sign me up all day long for him at 20th overall um and, and then again with hendon hooker you know you, you mentioned the 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 fact that, of course, the Seahawks have been focusing so much on the quarterbacks, um, you know, throughout this entire process. I mean, Hendon Hooker is the most accurate of them from a statistical perspective. Um, you know, we, again, we've talked a lot about him. And I think that if you do believe in the quarterback, if you are going to select him in the second round, it makes more financial sense, as we talked about before, to get back in that late portion of the first round and get that fifth year rookie option on that contract. So, again, I, whether Seattle does this or not, I think it's a sound strategy and I think it would check off some huge, huge boxes for the Seahawks. Yeah, it's funny, Rob. I, I tend to disagree with Mel Kuyper's draft picks for the Seahawks almost annually. And it's typically because I feel like as a national draft analyst that he's been kind of out of touch with the kind of players that the Seahawks are drawn to. But we have seen a little bit of a change in how the Seahawks operate. Last year was chalk, as much chalk as we've seen throughout the draft, just picking the best player available at positions of need, important positions, priority positions. And it seems like here that Mel Kuyper Jr. is following that model here, especially going after the first that you can develop behind quite frankly, has a lot of the same traits as much as any quarterback in this class that matches up with Geno Smith. And so yep. all three of these picks would make a lot of sense. And I like Murphy at 20 a lot better than five. I think five is a little too rich for him. But 20, uh, that would be a bargain because I view him in that 10 to 12 range most likely. So if you can get him at 20, it makes a lot of sense. A great athlete. Don't necessarily see that always translate to production on the field. He hasn't had the sack numbers you necessarily expect, but – He's a solid run defender, and he plays really hard, as you mentioned. And so he checks off a lot of the boxes the Seahawks would want at number 20. Our next one here, Charles Davis from NFL.com. No third first-rounder in this particular mock, but this is an interesting one. Tyree Wilson has been mocked to the Seahawks a lot, maybe the second most frequent behind Jalen Carter through this entire process because he's expected to go off the board here around pick number five. And then at 20, a player, I don't know that we have even mentioned him, on this podcast to this point, but we need to talk about him. And that's Deontay Banks, the cornerback out of Maryland. And I remember watching the Maryland-Ohio State game. Marvin Harrison Jr. still put up some pretty darn good numbers because he does it to everybody. But Deontay Banks had two pass breakups in coverage against Harrison, who I believe will be a top three draft pick in the 2024 draft. He's that good. hes I don't know if he's going to be quite his dad, but he's a very good football player. And Banks, another guy that can run in the four threes, low four fours, an explosive athlete, 
gave up less than a 50% completion rate last year. So he's not a name we have talked about, but 20 might be that sweet spot to pick your second corner. And Banks is a player right now that it's looking very likely that he's going to go in that back third of the first round. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a possibility. Um, and as we kind of, you know, kissed the ring, so to speak, a little bit there with Mel Kuyper a, a moment ago, I think a little bit with Charles Davis here as well. You know, anybody who has watched his coverage, uh, you know, of the Seahawks, and he's often been a color uh, commentator uh, on Seahawk broadcast. So he should know this club better than most. I think it's interesting he's going with Tyree Wilson, who, of course, we've all talked about so many times. And, um, and so I'll just kind of leave that to uh, you know a different show you've heard us analyze tyree wilson plenty but uh you know going back to banks he is a sea hockey kind of cornerback in some ways i mean he is just a spectacular athlete and had a, a strong senior season as you mentioned it was spectacular at the senior bowl at the combine he only has two career interceptions and that to me is why this is to be a little bit rich in my mind um you know for seattle but at the same time i do think that it speaks to something you and i have been suspecting this entire process, Corbin, that, that that Seattle is going to make getting another cornerback, I think, a little bit more of a priority than maybe uh, some are suggesting, or at least that's obviously what Charles Davis thinks. Yeah, and that seems to be what all of the writing on the wall is, but maybe this is one of those draft smoke screens. I guess we will wait and see when we get to that point. Now, last but not least, Chad Ryder, I'm going to give him a lot of credit because he's somebody that has a pretty good pulse in what the Seahawks like to do. And every year, I believe last year when we were doing a mock draft Monday, there was a way out there pick in the second round. And we've seen John Schneider do that a lot in reality. And so he tries to peg players that he thinks John Schneider might reach for that nobody saw coming. And he does it every year. So I will give Chad Ryder credit there. He's he's willing to roll the dice a little bit on some of these players and hope maybe one of these sticks. And so looking at his latest mock draft, he did a four rounder. We've got three rounds worth of players here. You want to talk about curveballs? Joey Porter Jr., the corner from Penn State at pick number five, not pick 20, pick number five. Zay Flowers at pick 27, trading down with the Buffalo Bills. That is a possibility if Buffalo wants to move up for a receiver or another position. That could be a trade partner if the Seahawks want to move down. Second round, I love the picks of John Michael Schmitz and Gervin Dexter Sr. in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Diane Henley, the linebacker from Washington State, an incredible athlete. We've talked him up a lot, maybe even as a second rounder. But this is the real curveball in the third round. B.J. Thompson, who played his college ball at Baylor initially and then ended up transferring to Stephen F. Austin to the FCS level. He's 6'6". He's got a good, lean, muscular frame, an explosive athlete. But as far as football skills, this would be that real reach in the third round for a guy that has an incredibly high ceiling if you can develop him. I feel like the third round is extremely rich there. But again, this is Chad Ryder rolling the dice the way that we've seen John Schneider do in past drafts, not last year, but in previous ones. Yeah, I don't think that BJ Thompson was invited to the combine this year, Corbin. So that he was, no. yeah, that's why I think that that um that Chad is basically trying to do here is he's I think trying to call his shot and that he is expecting Thompson to be one of the the very first combine snubs to get selected and as you said uh you know he knows John Schneider and they go they're both Wisconsin guys they, they go way back uh to Green Bay Packer days um I of course work with Chad 
for a long, long time, consider him a, a good friend to this day. And he is connected with uh, Schneider, the Seahawks, and, and many other teams. Um, he is the one who provides the um, the biographical information for all of the, the scouting reports um, that are on NFL.com. Yep. Um, Lance Zerline does the the, the, the breakdown of the, the player's strengths and weaknesses and, and Chad does the background. So um, in, in this case with BJ Thompson, as you mentioned, uh, Stephen F. Austin had previously been at Baylor and just a, a, a bendy athlete. I mean, absolutely unbelievable uh, pro day workout that he had here recently running in the four sixes had 37 and a half inch vertical um, really showed his change of direction. It's an edge rusher with a great deal of upside. Seattle loves those kind of guys. They need some of those types of players. So to me, as you said, I think this, is a bit rich, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised at all if BJ Thompson winds up sneaking his way into the uh, into the middle portion of the first round, perhaps even as a top 100 selection. That'd be insane if that ended up happening. But we every year there's there's always a couple guys that weren't on the radar, or maybe even weren't on the top 250 that teams draft early because they're saying, you know what, we're smarter than you. We found this guy. We like this prospect. And so it happens every single year. Maybe Thompson is that guy. But overall, I think this is an intriguing draft. Joey Porter Jr., I'm not as big of a fan on the prospect as some people are because you mentioned the ball skills with Deontay Banks. I at least have seen more pass breakups from him. I don't see all of that from Joey Porter Jr. Now, he's got the size. He's got incredible length. You know Pete Carroll gets excited about that with his outside cornerback. And he's a really good athlete. NFL pedigrees father played in the NFL for a long time so there's a lot of reasons to like him I just think five is a little bit rich but flowers at 27 I love I love the two second round picks if you can get John Michael Schmitz at 37 and you're able to get a player like Dexter with your second second round pick an athletic defensive tackle that to me is going to check off a lot of boxes at a position defensive tackle where it's going to start falling off a cliff at about midway through the third round there's a big dip in talent at that position. So overall, a really interesting one. And again, credit to Chad Ryder for always thinking outside the box a little bit and trying to pretend that he's John Schneider. And sometimes it has panned out in these mock drafts. Let's shift our gears now to our draft preview position by position. We have covered positions like defensive tackle, receiver, running back. Today we're back on offense with guards. And I know it's not the sexiest position, Rob. We're talking interior offensive linemen, but it's such a key position to be able to establish your run game. And of course, protecting the quarterback inside out, which in today's NFL is incredibly important with the talent that we see at the defensive tackle position on other teams. And so let's talk tier one here. First round prospects at guard. There have been years where you might not find anybody that belongs in that tier, but you and I agreed this year that there may actually be three players that would check out as first round caliber guards, starting off with Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, who's actually listed as a tackle. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, that's all he played at Northwestern was at the left tackle position, but he's got 32 inch arms, Corbin. And so I do think that he is going to slide inside to guard in the NFL. I've talked to two clubs that have picks within the top 10 um, that view him as a guard. Um, but, uh, you know, say whatever you will. I mean, the guy's a future pro bowler. I mean, he was an unbelievable player at Northwestern his entire time there. Took over for Rayshon Slater, who was another guy that some projected inside a guard, me being one of them. But 
Slater is an even better athlete. He's got longer arms. That's why I felt a little bit more comfortable with the idea of him. It's outside of tackle. I think Skaronsky is going to slide inside the guard. That is a sneaky position of concern for the Seattle. Obviously, we all know that Phil Haynes is only back on the one-year deal. Damian Lewis only has one more year on his deal, and he could be looking to get paid as a four-year starter um, you know, over, over his, uh, you know, his rookie contract in the NFL. So I think that the Seahawks are going to be very much evaluating this guard class. And so, again, Skaronsky at number five to me seems rich. Maybe not quite as rich as Joey Porter at number five to kind of go back to our previous conversation, but still rich. Um, but I do 100% believe that he would be off the board by the time Seattle is up at number 20. So he is a possible trade down scenario. And of course, Osiris Torrance would be another player that um, that I think that we have to f- kind of focus in on uh, as well. Maybe even Cody Mock from North Dakota State as well. Yeah, Mock, I'll, I'll talk Mock here first because he maybe isn't as notable the name coming from North Dakota State didn't play in the SEC or the Big Ten or even the AAC for that matter but North Dakota State has kicked out some really good NFL players there's a reason they've won all those FCS titles over the last decade because they have a lot of talented football players and I've talked about before with with the gap in his teeth Cody Mock looks like a Viking and he plays like a Viking on the offensive line. This guy gets after it. He's physical. He's an underrated athlete. And the thing that I love about him the most is I feel like he is one of those rare players where there's a lot of guys that come into the draft and offensive line that you feel like you could throw them into a game and they could play multiple positions. This guy, I think, could be a pro bowler across the board. I think he can play tackle. I think he's at his best playing in the interior, though. Guard might even be able to play center, did it some of the senior bowl without a hitch. So for a team like Seattle that needs a long-term center, could need some long-term help at guard, Cody Mock in the first round would make a lot of sense. Again, not the sexiest pick, but a really darn good football player and incredibly versatile. Osiris Torrance doesn't have that versatility. He is purely a guard at 335, 340 pounds. He fits with the Seahawks have looked for in the past mauling people so I don't know if he necessarily fits what they're looking for now at the same time you want to talk about a guy that protects quarterbacks didn't give up a single sack his entire college career and part of it is he's just extremely difficult to get around such a wide body he's got his own gravitational pull so a guy like that really difficult for pass rushers to get around and so that's the reason I think that there is an outside chance that he sneaks into the back half of the first round Probably we're looking at an early to mid second round selection for him, but still a very good football player. And I think there's some value on day two at the guard position as well. No, there absolutely is. In fact, to me, you talked about the sweet spot before, uh, maybe with cornerbacks. And I agree. I think it's going to be that late portion of the first round all through the second, maybe early portion of the third for corner. For interior offensive linemen, especially those those guards like we're talking about right now, I think second and third round. And my absolute favorite of, of this group for Seattle specifically is Steve Avila um, from TCU. I, you, you mentioned before with Cody Mock from North Dakota State, the positional versatility. Uh, Avila did everything at, at TCU. I mean, he started at literally four of the five um offensive line positions. The only one he didn't start Corbin was left tackle. And that's where he played his entire high school career. So again, this is a a very versatile player. He is 
six three. He's three hundred and twenty five pounds. That's like he's all shoulders. I mean, he is just built like a square, built like a chest freezer. And so you mentioned before about like Osiris Torrance and, and how he's got his own gravitational pull, and now he's he's just so darn wide that he's so hard to get around. Avila's got that as well, but he's quicker. And again, I I like his uh, his possibility quicker than O'Torrens or, or Cyrus Torrance, I should say, not necessarily Mock. Um, but uh, to me, they're, they're the similar type of players. And with Avila, I just like the level of competition that he faced throughout his career that much more. I think he's that much more of a plug and play guy. Um, and, and so to me, he is a guy that I have been trying to put in every basically in every Seattle Mock um, somewhere here on day two because I think that he screams Seahawks. Something that our listeners are going to notice that I am emphasizing in this segment. Andy Dickerson is the offensive line coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And before he came to Seattle, he was in L.A. And something that the Rams have consistently done, and they're still doing it, even without Andy Dickerson. So maybe it isn't necessarily Andy Dickerson that was driving this. But they love to draft tackles and move them inside to guard. They've been doing it for years under Sean McVay. And when Dickerson was there, they were doing it throughout the draft, early rounds, late rounds. They were drafting tackles that they thought had the athleticism to move inside and play guard and had the physicality to do it. And so there's a couple names that jump out to me. The first one I'm going to mention is somebody that actually had a top 30 visit with the Seahawks recently, and that's Tyler Steen, who started at tackle for Alabama. Before that, he was at Vanderbilt, talking about a guy coming from a military family, uh, extremely good work ethic, a good athlete. I think he could easily transition inside to guard I just look at his tackle ability, even though he was a all SEC performer last year, he had some issues sometimes with his reach dealing with pass rushers. I think that that's going to be mitigated moving him inside and he can get after it in the run game too, especially in the zone game. I look at him as one of those guys that Andy Dickerson's going to be chop- uh, licking his chops about like, hey, there's that tackle body, the guard, battle Seahawks. So Tyler Steen and then Braden Daniels, we have talked about him previously from Utah, another guy that played tackle at a very high level, did not give up a sack last year, doesn't have the biggest frame, a little shorter arms, another player that you can expect. Andy Dickerson's going to be saying, hey, I've watched him in Pac-12 against really good competition. That's a player that I think we can plug in at a guard spot. He can compete right away for playing time. So you're talking about two athletic guys that can zone block, they can pass protect. That would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks to slide from tackle to guard. There could be potential day two selections. Yeah, two really good football players there. You know, Braden Daniels, again, another player that I've been kind of projecting to Seattle often. Um, I'm going to mention a player that I think is going to continue to rise up the charts because he's one of those guys, Corbin, that it's kind of funny. Uh, You know, as you get a little bit closer to the draft, I think that sometimes people can get hot um, with, you know, risers and fallers. And I think that that sometimes gets overplayed. But I'll tell you why I think that, that Anthony Bradford from LSU is a player who is going to continue to rise. And that is because when you watch him on tape, a 6'5", 330 pounds, this is a guy who can absolutely maul people. He sounds like that old school Seahawk blocker. Mike Solari kind of just moved people at the line of scrimmage. And then he goes to the combine and he runs a 166 10-yard split, which is receiver-like. 
And it's like, whoa, 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 what, what the heck just happened here? And you see flashes, you start watching the tape and you see flashes where he does when he's asked to jump up to the uh, the second level where he does show flashes of that type of explosive athletic ability. You know, there's so many different things that teams take into consideration when it comes to evaluating these prospects. But, you know, explosive size and speed combinations is guaranteed to, you know, really be a rocket booster um, for a prospect's grade as the draft approaches. And so to me, Bradford is a guy that I personally gave a, a, a fourth round grade. I thought that he should be available to teams in the fourth round. But now I, I think that he is likely to go on day two. I think that he has the power that's certainly going to intrigue every NFL team out there. And also the athleticism um, that I think is going to be maybe intriguing to a team like Seattle as well. And so to me, he is one of those players that I have to mention here as a guy that I think people are sleeping on a little bit um, that I think is going to wind up making a name for himself in the NFL. Real quick, let's talk day three prospects because I will just say this up front. I don't think that this is a very deep guard class. I think when you get past the tier of players we just talked about, there's still some good guys on day three, but I think it's going to be slim pickings. But there are two names that stand on there, two totally different style players. McClendon Curtis from Chattanooga, a big body tackle. He would fit in that mold of what Andy Dickerson's looking for. Guys that maybe doesn't have the length or doesn't have the footwork or the athleticism to play tackle, but he could slide inside, play better in a phone boot, looked really good at the senior bowl, had a great all-star showcase game, didn't test quite as well as maybe you would have liked to see. But again, he's going to be playing a guard that's maybe not as big of an issue, and he's played well at tackle. So he's a guy that I could see middle of day three would make a lot of sense. Seattle has shown interest in Chattanooga offensive linemen. Strange last year, uh, they ended up going to the first round of the Patriots. They really liked him. So I could see the Seahawks liking Curtis for that reason, a really heady player as well. And then John Gaines from UCLA, a totally different style player. He looks more like that wrestling type that has been playing guard and center, put on a show at the Combine, really good change of direction, testing times, scored well in the 40, had a quick 10-yard uh, split as well. As you mentioned, that's arguably the most important thing when you're talking about speed with offensive linemen, those 10-yard splits, the explosiveness. I could see Gaines being a guy early on day three that could play guard, either guard position for you, and he might have a future as a center too. This is a guy that has played all over the line for UCLA, and he's done some really nice things against top-notch competition. So I think early on day three that Gaines is a player that is rising coming out of the combine that brings a lot of versatility that would fit what Seattle wants to do up front. It would. And, uh, you know, you're going to go with a UCLA guy. So, you know, with Pete Carroll being a USC guy, then I'm going to, I'll be talking about, um, you know, a former Trojan. And it's, it's funny, uh, you know, it, it feels like Andrew Voorhees has been at USC since about when Pete Carroll left. I mean, he, he played at USC, get this Corbin for six seasons, um, five years as a starter. And he was the, the Morris Trophy Award winner as the best interior offensive line, best offensive line, excuse me, in the Pac-12, as voted on by the league's defensive lineman. He's a terrific football player. He should be a top 100 selection long off the board. But tragically, he tore his ACL during the, the combine testing, and, and that's why he is going to, again, 
sadly fall in the fifth or sixth round. And with these 10 selections that the Seahawks have, I really think that the Seahawks should be in position to kind of take advantage of, of some of these players that have a little bit of a discount uh, to them at this point. And so Voorhees to me is one of the favorites that um, I'm, I just thought of once you mentioned, um, you know, a, a good player in gains from UCLA, who I just thought, Hey, crosstown rival and Voorhees is a really good one. When, when I think of day three offensive linemen, I think of guys who have to have a lot more development though, than a, a guy like a Voorhees again, as a five year starter, um, Morris trophy award winner and city South, from Eastern Michigan. He's a native Canadian. And of course, some of our listeners know I'm now very proudly scouting um, for the CFL and the BC Lions. And this is a, uh, a, a player that, you know, just basically wasn't really on the, 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 the U S or the American college football radar from a, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but he came to Eastern Michigan. He wound up being again, like a four year starter for them. I think he's had left with like 55 starts over his college career. I, I watched him at the combine and I just see a guy who is just really densely put together. doesn't have any extra fat to him. I see power. I see quickness. I, I see a, a starting caliber player. To me, he is Phil Haynes all over again. A guy who joined the, college football again a little bit behind the curveball or behind the eight ball so to speak a little bit but i think his best uh best football is ahead of him i think that he is going to be a starter someday down the line i, I would be surprised if somebody just gambles on his upside in the fourth or fifth round where a lot of people are kind of sleeping on him saying he's seventh or you know or as undrafted for agent guy I, I think that he again he's a he's a fourth fifth round kind of candidate that a lot of teams uh are probably pretty upset that I'm kind of mentioning here um, because they they think that he might be a sleeper. Yeah. And, and Mac, the Mac conference, they kick out some really good NFL players. So this is not a situation. Where we're talking about a guy that hasn't played any competition. I mean, the Mac Maction's got some studs that come into the league. So for your starter, 50 plus starts under his belt, put on a show at the combine. He was one of my biggest winners at the combine. And I didn't yep. even know who he was. Went back and watched some film. I'm like, this guy's not just athletic. He's actually a pretty physical football player. So I could see him going earlier on day three than people anticipate. I would be surprised if he's not drafted with what he did in Indianapolis. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube, and all other major podcast platforms for free to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we're bringing back Throwback Tuesday. Rob and I are going to discuss and debate the five best value picks under John Schneider since 2010, and we'll continue our draft preview back on the defensive side of the ball with edge defenders, outside linebackers, and defensive ends. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.